Welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Turning your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 1. So we started, and we started our little journey here. We're going to be reading 1 Peter, and we're going to be reading 2 Peter. And so that gives us a nice little, you know, path on where we're going to be reading and studying and all these things. And something occurred to me as I was studying this particular book out in 1 Peter, uh, this initial letter that Peter wrote, um, was he's essentially teaching us how to live eternal life today. So I, I want you to really think about what that says. Just like, just like Steve was talking about, sometimes there are words and sayings and phrases that we use that can just be words that become kind of just, you know, something we say. It doesn't have an effect on our life. It's just something that we kind of go through the motions. And if there's anything that we are susceptible to, it's in Christianity itself of just having those kind of sayings that we that, that we say and we can kind of go on our way but we're meant to be living eternal life today we get to live eternally with God forever when Jesus comes back but there's more there's eternal life today and Peter is sharing with us how to do that okay so I'm just going to refer to this you don't have to turn there but in Romans 6 uh, one of the things that Paul writes is now since you've been liberated from sin and becoming enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. Now, if you're aware of Romans chapter six, he's specifically talking about people who are baptized into Christ. And he's saying, since you've been liberated from sin, he's talking about like in the present time and the end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that doesn't mean a later thing. That means a today thing. Yeah. So when we're back, that should be something that we hope for, that we live into, that becomes something that is a normal part of our community is, is the assumption should be when I'm in Christ that we're living eternal life today. All right. Now, the interesting thing about that word is not like just some subjective word that we can make fit into whatever we want. But eternal life is a quality of life lived in Christ today. And for, it's a quality of life. And if you can be very honest, this idea of, of really kind of examining your own soul, would you say you're living eternal life today? This is very important, okay, because, again, this can become one of those things where, where our assumption in Christianity is I want a salvation kind of experience, and then I'm going to try really hard to be moral, and it just kind of goes along with it that I'm going to be bored. 
bored and completely tempted by the world, and we're just going to have to gut it out until Jesus comes back. And that's really the furthest thing from what Scripture teaches. It's the furthest thing of what Jesus taught, that eternal life is for today. Eternal life is peace and abundance, safety, hope, and joy in community. Right, that's the quality of eternal life. That can be had today and every day and should be what marks us as a community. Okay, The world's narrative is about achievement and efficiency and productivity and scarcity and fear, which is one of those things if we're really not careful, and, and this is where I think we've got to pray that the Holy Spirit convicts our heart because we can, we can be a good church and still be totally about the story of the world. We can be a group of people, and I know we like to say this, but church is just a group of messy people, okay? Understand something. That doesn't, messy doesn't mean that we follow the world's story. It doesn't mean that we're a group of people behaving like the world, but saying, but since I go to church, we're just messy. That's not what he's saying. It's that, in fact, the church is supposed to be marked by peace and abundance and safety and hope and joy, not individually, but all together. And that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be times where we're going to really have a hard time and, and have trial and these things. But the norm shouldn't be a church is a community of people who, above all else, achieve in the world. And are trying to be efficient and productive and are living in this idea that we never have enough and we're scared we're going to miss out on something. That should not be what the church is, is d described as, okay? And so, again, my prayer for us is that we really are praying specifically that the Holy Spirit convicts our heart as a community. Because sometimes it's very easy for us to pat ourselves on the back. And go, man, isn't it great? Isn't it great that, man, we are, man, thank you that we're not like the other traditional churches. Yeah. Because we have all of the things. We can become kind of like, you know, our own little spin doctor here in the community, which is like, hey, but we love people. And we do, and we can, and all of those things are fantastic. But just like Steve was saying, it, we can't just kind of like name it from the beginning and go, this is us always. We have to allow ourselves to be challenged and go, but is this? Are we a community? And so as Peter writes this, I want you to really frame your thinking as you think through this of Peter writing to really pilgrims and foreigners. And he's trying to teach us and to teach them. How do you live eternal life today? And every day. I hope we hear that as we go through this. So 1 Peter 1. So um, at last week as we started going through this, um, he starts out and he says, hey, here's, here's the deal. Peter says, I'm writing to non-Jewish Christians who live in Turkey slash Asia Minor of the time. And I'm writing to people who don't have a home. You're pilgrims, you're aliens, you're foreigners. That's who he's writing to. He's saying, that's, I'm writing to Christians in these areas. And he's saying, as strangers and aliens, praise 
God, right? And there's a little verse that you're going to see that every once in a while that I put up there. I'm not going to go to that, but that's something that kind of connects these dots and you can go into them further in your own study, okay? Um, but he starts out this, in the first chapter as strangers and aliens, praise God, okay? And again, we showed you this map last week, um, this idea of, of they were strangers and aliens. And here's the map of us where we are strangers and aliens. This is what a foreign country looks like. Unless it doesn't. Unless you know, that's my home. I'm a citizen of that country. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you've made Jesus Lord. You aren't. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean, here's the deal. You got to do your taxes still. And you got to pay your taxes, okay? The IRS is not going to be like, oh, hey, I'm going to write on my 1040 or whatever. Not a citizen of this country, okay? And then nice people will come to my home. And they will, they will implore me to live as a citizen, okay? This does not mean we're not in following the laws. That does not mean we're not legally citizens. But in our heart of hearts and in the reality of our lives, we are strangers in this land. Unless we're not strangers. Unless we've been populated by the world so extensively that we think it's weird if somebody were to actually call us out to be citizens of heaven. This is, this is where we're foreigners. This is our country here, that we are strangers and aliens. And he says, praise God for this new birth. He says, man, here's the deal. Praise God for new birth. Then again, we talked about last week, this idea of being born again, of dying to our old selves, a new citizenship in heaven, washed completely clean with the Holy Spirit, just it crammed inside of us. He says, praise God for that. Praise God for an unfading inheritance that we do get to put our hope on that there's, there is eternal life today. And then there's that inheritance where there's no more conflict of good and evil. Isn't that amazing? Because here's the deal. There will be that. As long as me and you are alive on this earth, there's going to be this striving of living eternal life today, but there's going to be this conflict that's happening. The conflict of spirit and sin and the conflict, this conflict that's happening. But he's saying, praise God for an unfading inheritance. Praise God for trials with purpose. Right? Because here's the deal is when me and you aren't in the kingdom of God, trials have no purpose whatsoever. Trials are meaning, trials are just pain that is that you're having to face on your own. But he said, here's the great thing about eternal life today and about living in the kingdom is we can be sure that the trials that we go through in this life, they are meant to produce something. There is a purpose for them. And it's meant that when we come out the other side, it's this refining process that there's more honor for God. There's more praise that we're actually like refined into an even closer representation of Jesus, right? And so this is what he started out with, the first 12 verses here. And then he goes into this, and we're going to start at verse 13 here. Peter says, therefore, with your minds ready for action. Okay, so, so there's a, 
you know, in our in our English translation, they they left out some really great words here. Okay, okay. If we were going to read in, in the Greek original Greek manuscript, we would we would see Peter write now with with your loins girded. The the, the 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 gird the loins of your mind. Okay, there's not too often I get to even say those words. Okay, but but Peter literally wrote, gird the loins of your mind. Okay, and and here's all that means simply. It just listen. People normally wore tunics. Okay, I mean it was kind of long. If this is it's a simple definition. It's nothing super crazy or anything like that. But it's like, here's the deal. If you're going to be prepared and you're being sent to go do something, when you girded your loins, you, you wrapped your tunic up around your legs. You brought that puppy up. So you could, you could move. And can I tell you, I left my tunic at home. Or it would have been a great object. Just a lesson right there, okay? But you got to get ready, okay? And he's saying, do this with your minds. Now, here's the interesting thing. For the Gentiles, I don't know if they, I mean, they would have understood it. For the Jews, what's fascinating is there's a rich history of being commanded to gird your loins, okay? Is is Job, when he said, hey, get ready, I'm going to question you. Don't just stand there with your tunic lying down there. I mean, get ready for what's coming. He, he said it to Isaiah, Elisha, Elijah, when he was sending people out. This is what the call would be. Gird your loins. All right? Don't be caught up in a place where you can't move and you're going to trip all over yourself and you're because you will die with what I'm about to send you out to do. And so he says, all of that, gird the loins of your mind. And that idea of mind isn't just your brain. Okay? What this word really means, it's this tank full of reasoning, understanding, desires, right? Emotion. It's it's all crammed in me saying that thing that, that can understand concepts and can reason through things and feels things and understands things. That thing, and, and right there, man, I'm telling if you are somebody that you're going to go, I'm, I, I want to just settle in on something for this week. Boy, what a great place to stop and meditate is this. What on earth, Peter, are you asking me to do? Gird the loins of your mind. He said, be ready for action. Be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, that's an amazing verse. Do we want to learn to live in eternal life today? He said, here's the mindset to begin with, to prepare yourself, is set your mind completely on the grace, this unmerited favor that's going to be lavished on us when Jesus is revealed. And we talked about that last week. Is There, there will be a time every human being who has ever existed will experience this moment. Whether you're dead or alive, we will all experience this moment in history when Jesus comes back. I want you to think about what that will be like. All right? Can you imagine some things you do in life that are surreal? 
Like you can't believe that it's even happening, all right? I mean, when I was, when, when me and Abby were being married and all of a sudden I'm standing up in front of the church and I'm like, how did I get here? This is a, a surreal to wrap your mind around it. When your children are born, when, you know, where there's just a surreal moment, how surreal will it be? Where are you going? Now it's happening. I didn't even know it was happening. Now it's happening. And some of us may be dead already and will know. He said, set this mind, do this, is on that grace. Okay, and again, understand what he's saying here. He's not saying just in general. He's talking about those who have been born again. You have been born you have died. You have had the Holy Spirit inside of you. You, that's what he's saying. For those folks, set your hope completely on the grace. Because here's the deal is, we're, everything that he lapses on us on that day is totally unmerited. Okay, it's totally unmerited. There isn't anything that we deserve. And he says, um, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Now, here's an interesting thing about this is you're reading through this this week. When he says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. He's saying, before you died, we lived in ignorance, okay? And he said, then you were born again, and there was this conformity to Jesus, and he's actually contrasting these two. So when he says, as obedient children, he's actually reminding us, listen, keep being conformed to Jesus, don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. All right, so there's a contrast there that he's reminding us. And again, if we're honest, we know how that feels. That conflict of going, man, I want to be conformed and I'm being conformed. But those old kind of ignorant desires, they, they can creep back up that we had before we were living eternal life in Christ. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy. In all your conduct, for it's written, be holy because I'm holy. You can go back. There's actually a number of places. Leviticus 19 will kind of shed some light on this, okay? But as Peter writes this, he's saying, hey, gird the loins of your mind. Be alert. Be prepared, okay? On, set your hope fully. Don't be conformed by the old stuff. Be conformed by the new stuff. And this word, be holy. I'm not sure what the picture that comes into your mind is. But he says, be holy because I am holy. God is telling us, listen, to live eternal life today, we must be holy because he is holy. Okay? So this idea, this entire section here is about being alert and prepared, expressed in holiness is how we live out eternal life. Being alert, being prepared, expressed in holiness. Now, let's go back to that really strange word, holy. And depending on what your tradition is and what you like, holiness is almost seen as they're a holy people, and those people are like the guys that wear kind of weird clothes sometimes, and they're holy people, and then there's everyone else, okay? 
Except, again, that's a story that we've made up. We, we've all made that up. Is there a holy people? And then when we're called to holiness, we think oftentimes there's no way I could be holy. Except the word means something very, very simple, okay? It means that you're set apart, that you're different from the world. Be, be set apart because God is set apart. Be, be different than the world because God's not like the world. And that, that's really good news because where the world is petty and where the world is like, uh, you know, just uh, fickle and the world is all about these things. Thank God that he is different than the world. But he's saying to live eternal life out here. That quality of life of peace and joy and abundance and courage and all of these things. He's saying in order for that to happen is he's commanding us be holy. So there's a couple things this week as you kind of go with your life, okay, is here are three questions. These are helpful for me, okay, as I'm like looking at my life going, hold on a minute, like this might be really good information, but it's meant to be like internalized and, and examined and thought through and questioned and pulled apart and all these things, but it's really important that we know, and who am I? Who are we? Do I, do I even know what worldliness is? And, and here's the interesting thing. Don't look at the Christian world to find out what your definition of worldliness is. The definition of worldliness in Christianity that's fully accepted is, hey, you're not perfect, just try harder. Don't worry about sin. Don't worry about those things. No, 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 no. Listen, the, the narrative, the story of what worldliness is, is described in the Bible. And then who's our guide? Who's my guide? Who's your guide? All right. If, in fact, this is going to be something that we embrace. OK, if, if it really is something that we're going to go, no, I, Peter, I trust you. I know you saw Jesus. You are with Jesus. You're passing along the teachings of Jesus. You're trying to help us learn how to live eternal life as strangers today, how to do that. And this idea of it doesn't just we don't just get to snap our fingers and everything's just all hunky dory. OK. So let's kind of examine this a little bit. Who are we? Quick question, and not to be answered here, but to take home with you, is what are my worldly tendencies? It's going to be really tough to be holy if I have no idea where my worldly tendencies are. Okay? Am I independent? Am I mistrusting? Prideful? Competitive and comparative? I'm always trying to win. I'm always trying to, I've got to be compared to people. I've got to be better than people. And, and here's the deal is, if you're just kind of quickly just throwing this out of your mind, like that, that should alarm you. Because these are things that are inside of mankind. Okay? is this, of independence. It's what Steve said. You're crazy to think that we are not independent when we live in a country that is all about independence, okay? Am I driven by pleasure and avoidance 
and fear and leisure and convenience, okay? Because here's the interesting thing. When groups, when we're wandering in the wilderness, when we're strangers somewhere, you know what our tendency is going to be to do? Our tendency is going to be, let's find a safe place right now. And I'm going to make up what's safe. All right? I'm going to make a safe world around me based on what makes me feel safe, okay? My own fortress, and that fortress can be a fortress of independence and mistrust and competitiveness. And no one gets in because I have my own fortress up, except when we're living eternal life, God is like, no, I'm your fortress. See, these things don't have any room in eternal life. They don't have any room at all. In fact, it requires us to repent of these things and acknowledge like, man, I might have made my own fortress of pleasure and avoidance and fear and leisure and convenience. And anytime somebody starts like knocking those down, we can get really angry. Like, don't mess with my fortress. But we have to understand something when that happens and it will happen to all of us and it can happen to everybody. And it's a matter of like understanding that is, you know, we have to be, we have to be really honest um, about like, okay, th this is, I have created my own fortress, my own safeguard. You know, no, no, no one gets in, but I'm going to read the Bible, but I'm going to kind of interpret it on my own. And I'm going to kind of keep everything out there. Okay. So this is just, you know, do I know who I am and do we know who we are? It's going to be really important when he says, be holy because I'm holy. Okay. Identifying worldliness or, or this idea, what are the patterns of our world? Isn't it amazing how our world, even country to country, there are certain things that there are patterns to how we do things. Okay. And so again, if me and you are going to take this seriously and really learn from our brother, Peter, it's going to require some thought about this. It's going to require this and, and to question, what is my approach to work and to just perfect my profession in general? Like, what is my approach to that? Is it that's first? And I understand, listen, this is where it gets kind of hairy and messy and weird because nobody knows what's going on inside of you but you. Right? I'm not trying to like delineate something, but I will say this. A lot of times we'll end up, it's very, this is again, this isn't like, oh, insight from a preacher. This is just human behavior. I'm going to, I'm going to find a profession or a job and I have it. And now I'm going to, I, I can, I can think to myself, okay, is this idea why well, I can't quit it because this pays my bills. But I want you to ask yourself a question. Is it the only job that would pay your bills? Or is it just in your fortress, this is the job you'll have? Uh, you just have to be honest. Inside of our own refuge is this idea. So, so it may be challenging to you right now. You may have a job that is completely isolating you from the kingdom of God. That you can come periodically and all these things and go, but I can't quit that job. How would I pay my bills? There's lots of jobs that pay money. But if my approach to my profession and my work life isn't that, isn't like, hey, I'm going to work and I'll get money, 
and my bills can be paid? Or is it more about kind of achievement, identifying these worldliness kind of patterns, patterns of dating and marriage? I, I can tell you, man, I was a single guy, okay, when I was a Christian. And listen, listen, do never doubt a single man, a single disciple man, to be able to justify everything he thinks into the righteousness of the kingdom. Okay? Especially when it comes to that. And I'm not leaving the ladies out of this. Okay? But I am saying this. is I've been around them. I've been one of them. And it's like, okay, I'm going to be holy exactly the way I want to be. Okay? In my fortress, you know, don't tell me how to date. Don't tell me how to be married because I'll be in a fortress. And in my fortress, listen, it's all okay. Well, take a step back. And if the way we date looks exactly the way the world dates, I want you to think about that, okay? Is we can't say everything should be different except the things that we don't want them to be different, okay? And so the amount of time and effort and energy and emotional energy that goes into getting someone to like you and to reciprocate that. It's, here's why it's different in the kingdom. Abby didn't need me. No problem. Abby was 100% like, I'm with Jesus. Like, if you're not here, my life will still be eternal life in Jesus. That's it. Like, dude, the pressure's off. I don't need you. But now it's like the, I, we get into a really bad place when I start looking for, I need verbal, like, I need you to tell me that you care for me and love me and like me and think I'm handsome and think I'm great. And I need all of those things, except none of that story is a story about being a disciple in the kingdom of God. It's totally the world, okay? And so I'm just, like I said, and, and feel free to go, but Keith, you've been married for 24 years. Listen, it's easy for you to say, sure. But the truth is, is there was a time when I wasn't. And I know it's hard. And, and my, the point, you're, you're, you shouldn't be looking to me to make this easier. Okay, this is just examination time. Like, how do I approach dating and how do I approach marriage and how do I approach entertainment and leisure and life and acceptable religious beliefs? Because all of that can be just plain old worldly. You know, this idea is so acceptable. You know, we go, well, no, man, everybody's a Christian. Like, everybody who's trying hard, they're a Christian. Everybody who goes to church is a Christian. Everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Yet the interesting thing is, is oftentimes we don't even know what that means. It's not about somebody who's really nice and who's good and who's trying to be moral. It's somebody whose every part of their life has been reordered around the life of Jesus. Okay? So it's, it's, it's that idea. Every part of it. My job, my money. That doesn't require maturity. That requires a decision. That every part of my life now will be conformed to the lifestyle of Jesus. So that means I, I am imitating my king. I'm trying to learn from my king. When he tells me to pray, when he tells me to, to go and share my faith, and when he tells me to live in the different ways that he's teaching us to live eternally. 
But I think so much we can go, no, but they're good people. But there are a lot of good people in my experience, man. I mean, I, believe me, I mean, I've studied the Bible with a lot of good people who have never entered the kingdom of God. And they were good and they were moral and they were all of those things, okay? But a disciple is somebody who reorders every part of their life around the kingdom of God, around the king and his life, okay? And then who's my guide? We're going to go into this a little bit more. But oftentimes our guide, honestly, I mean, I think I think I can speak for everybody and say most of the time our guide is me, my thoughts, my feelings, my friend group, and my understanding. I mean, that, that, I hope I'm hitting all of them. I, I hope they're all going, yeah, you know, that looks familiar to me. When my feelings tell me something, when my understanding tells me something, when my friend group tells me something, well, that's my guide. And they can be great resources, all right? And my thoughts and my feelings and my understanding can all be incredibly, can, can, be, can be used by God, but they can't be our guide, okay? So he goes on here, okay? So he's, he's like working his way down, gird the loins of your mind, be holy. If you address his father, the one who judges impartially, based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. For you know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the times for you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. So he starts out and he just kind of a qualifying, if you address as father, the one who judges impartially, saying like, if me and you, we come together, our father in heaven, and that doesn't mean just that, that section. But if I'm addressing him, he says, who judges impartially based on each one's work, you're to conduct yourselves in fear, okay? Now, here's the question. Well, which is it? He said, conduct yourself in fear. As temporary residents. Conduct, but hold on a minute, Keith. You just told me that eternal life and the kingdom of God is, is safe. You're at a refuge. Which one? Which one is it? This can be kind of confusing sometimes. We've talked about this before, kind of this idea. But here's the interesting thing is, is he's, he's, he's telling us that yes to both. Understanding who God is. Who is our Father? Who is our Father in Heaven? And to understand the magnitude of the power that he wields completely, fairly, and justly, and mercifully. And man, that is power beyond understanding. <laughs> Sometimes we forget about that. Sometimes we forget about it, and we can even get a little bit kind of loosey-goosey and go, no, 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 I don't like living in fear. He's saying the fear is about if I had to go up against God, he in all his justice 
could snuff me out. All right, he in all of those things, okay? So going back up to here where he, he's telling us, listen, it's live your life in fear. You know you were redeemed. He's saying you know you were redeemed from your empty way of life versus eternal life. And it was through the precious blood of Christ. And, and, and here's another contrast that I hope we'll be seeing over the next chapters is this idea of what's eternal and what's common. He's going to continually talk about the decay of the world, about things that can be bought, but they die out. But when we're talking about God and eternal life, we focus our hearts and our minds on what's eternal, things that don't ever wear out, like the precious blood of Jesus right here. Okay, So which is it? Uh, and so just Peter tends to be like revolving and working through on three different areas. What does God do? What do we do? And what are others doing? Have you ever been caught up in a place before where you were so worried about what other people were doing that it distracted you? And man, I'm telling you, again, there are a number of things I feel like I could get an advanced degree. This is one of them. Well, I'm going, I can get so wrapped up and understand something that's not eternal life. I'm so wrapped up in what others are doing. I oftentimes don't consider what, what is God calling me and you to do that he does, that he's the one that does it, okay? And so as we're reading through this, Peter is saying this. He's like, no, you've been redeemed. Why? By what God does. Through the precious blood of Jesus. That's, those are things God does. God does. Okay? Don't look that up. Okay? There's what, what others are doing, okay, which is in this particular case, is, is persecuting the church. He's like, yeah, you're in the midst of persecution. You're living a holy life. You're living eternal life. And you can't control what they're doing. And you can't control what they're thinking. And you can't control their actions or any of those things. But you want to know what me and you can do? Is Peter is really big into this. And sometimes it... it it makes us uncomfortable, depending on what your tradition is that you come from. It makes us uncomfortable when we start talking about things we do. It is so tempting. We, can, we can't do anything. And that's not what eternal life is. It's, no, there are things we do. We do them because we're compelled by the love of Christ. Okay, We do these things. What do we do? Essentially, he's saying, me and you in this quest... To live eternal life today comes down to how will me and you choose? Okay, because people can persecute us and we can't control that. There are things that God does that we don't get to do, but we're firmly in this area of what we do. Okay. So I'm going to just jump back to this slide here, okay? Because again, I want you as you think through this, is this idea of beginning to ask myself, okay, well, what are they? What do I do in these cases, in my choices? Not what everybody else is saying, not what the preacher's saying, not what not any of those things, not what God is supposed, but hold on a minute, how am I supposed to navigate these things? How am I supposed to do that, Okay. And it comes down to this, right? He says, listen, don't fear. Here's why. He says, because we do have a God. Right? We talked about our own worldly tendencies, being aware of those. Right? We talked about just how the patterns of the world are, like identifying this. But he goes on here and he says, no, we actually do have a guide. And as Peter continues to, to, uh, to dig in, he says, by obedience to the truth, 
This is a good thing to sink, sink, let sink in by obedience to the truth. Having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Right? He's saying this is a primary aspect of living eternal life. Is this ability and this command to love your brothers deeply and earnestly. He says, because you've been born again. There it is again. There's that new life. You've been born again. This has become... this. Listen, the, the, the hoops you have to jump through, if you haven't been born again to figure this out, it's going to be painful. Okay, but he says this is you've been born again, not of imperishable seed. Again, not imperishable, uh, not perishable, but imperishable, not common, but eternal. All right. <laughs> through the living and enduring word of God. Okay, so here's this, this continual, like preparing us. Helping us to be alert, helping us to be holy, helping us to live eternal life today. He says, here's the interesting thing is this idea of as we've obeyed the living and enduring word of God. Okay, he's getting very practical here. And then he goes into, he actually quotes a section from Isaiah 40. And some of you may be aware of Isaiah 40 is a pretty important chapter because... John the Baptist is taught about in Isaiah 40, this one voice that would be coming ahead of the king, right? But what we fail to, to, to do oftentimes is to read that entire chapter to go, hold on a minute, he's talking about something, not just a guy who's going to be going out in front of him and teaching. He's actually talking about the word of God. And he says, and, and in, this, in Isaiah 40, there's like this back and forth. And this one voice said, you know, what should I say? And then his other boy says, here's what you say. And he's talking about the adoring word of God. And he says, all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. It's so sad. Okay? And he's like, this is the world. This is what the world does. Even if it looks beautiful for a little bit, it just fades away. There's nothing eternal about it. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, let me just explain something a little bit here is the word of the Lord isn't just simply this book of books that we have. Okay, this word that's used, there's kind of like these interchangeable words in Greek to get used, but they both pretty much mean the same thing, which is not just the words that have come out, but the very character of God himself. So when we read in John chapter one, the word became flesh. Every aspect of who God was and is became the word. It's not just words on paper. It's understanding and meaning and passion and love and mercy. And all of that poured into this right here. And he says that is forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached as the gospel to you. And he's reminding them, man, this is, this is why and this is how eternal life can be lived to death. We do have a God. And my thoughts and my feelings are fine because God gave me thoughts and feelings. Right? And my understanding and my, all of those are pretty neutral. But we've been given a guide that all of those have to come under underneath the enduring word of God. The, the all encapsulated word of God here. And this is a section I, I, I want us to end and just kind of like, you know, take this and, and we know where we're going next week. 
Matthew 7, 24, it's just so helpful. It's just such a great, I, I love the metaphor. I love the teaching of Jesus here. Um, because when we read something from Peter, I oftentimes, Peter wasn't written in a vacuum. Peter was influenced totally and 100% by the teachings of Jesus. And I wonder how many times Peter heard this lesson right here. When he was tempted to just be a man of knowledge or information or something, he says, Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. He's just be sensible. It's when you hear the words of Jesus, when you hear the words of God, the sensible thing is to put them into action. But he's happy. We can't be perfect. He didn't say that, man, you better nail it the first time. But the person who conforms his entire world around the king is going to go, man, I, I trust that guy. The rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. And his collapse was great. When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Listen, right here, Matthew is telling us how to hear that. He says he's teaching this as authoritatively. Not just as a neat story, but authoritatively. How sad would it be if this lesson wasn't included? And we were just kind of like, man, I'm trying and all these things. He says, no, you don't understand the purpose of my words. The purpose of my words are this strong foundation when they're acted on. Because in this world we live in, man, there's going to be all kinds of like chaos that happens and crashing and all of these different things and things that we're not comfortable with at times and things that make us want to just not live anymore. And he said, but here's the deal with that foundation. If you've acted on my words, that's like a continual thing. That's not just a one-time thing. If you've acted on these, be assured the foundation will be stable. Rest assured in that. Okay. But again, he's, he's getting back to the heart of what is a Christian. I think very often we think somebody is a Christian who studies their Bible every day and reads the words of God and all of that. And unfortunately, maybe we don't ever ask the question or they've never been asked the question, like, what are you acting on? Like, is anything that you've read, are you acting on that? Is there repentance? Are you, you know, trying to examine this and change, right? And so this, to me, kind of stuck out in my mind as I was listening to Peter. of This idea of how do we live eternal life today? And being aware of Jesus' own teachings here. So a few things just leaving us with, okay, is just some statements, right? Have some time with Jesus. Have some time in the Word. Have some time with friends. And and this statement, I study, examine, and obey God's word in community. I know oftentimes we get up and we have quiet time, we're kind of in the word of God, but the word of God is meant to be worked out in community. Like we're meant to be doing this with one another. We're meant to be having time together to go, let's read this and what does this look like and what do you see in me? Like that's the way it was meant to do. With the statement, I am alert and prepared spiritually. And then question mark. Is it a statement or a question? What does holiness look like daily? 
Okay, and, and because you don't have an answer right off the top of your head, that's not the point of these. It's just this idea of, well, let me go home and kind of sit down and go through this and try to process through these things. Um, in, in what way is there differences in what I say I believe in the decisions I'm actually making? Okay, this is going to fool us off. <laughs> this, this one will fool us off. In what ways is there differences in what I say I believe and the decisions I'm actually making? Like, I'm in Christ. I have no fear. I don't have to fear anything. He's enough. And on this side, going, I need more. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I'm going to be this way my whole life. And oh my goodness, I'm freaking out and I'm dramatic and all of these things. Those are different. And we all do it. We all do it. Is this idea that just is going to require us to continue to look at that. So as we kind of take that through, let's pray right now. And again, my hope is that we have prayer group midweeks to bring this into. We have time. I, I always love, you know, I know there's brothers and sisters. And you guys are getting together in different coffee shops and houses and all those things. And I love that. And remembering, though, that let's take the purposes of God and let's take the ways of God and take this into a community to be, really be able to sit down and go, hey, let's talk about this stuff. And you see these things in me and maybe you can open the door to let me see these things. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.